You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. Today's episode is sponsored by North Street Community Church of the Nazarene. North Street is a Christian community on the south shore of Boston, shaped through local and global partnerships, practicing neighborly care and concern, and providing a place where artists can practice their art. Check them out at northst.org. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Jason Veach. Reverend Veach is a church planting pastor in Portland, Oregon. Thanks for tuning in. Jason Beach. Jason is the founding pastor of Eden Community in Portland, Oregon. Say hello. Hello. So the first question I want to ask you is the first question I ask everybody, right? How did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? I was born into it. <laughs> That's the short answer. How did your family end up in the Church yes, of the Nazarene? My mother is a third generation Nazarene, actually, and my uh, father sort of married into the church. And um, so I was raised in this tradition. And when I was uh, about five years old, my family moved to a smaller town in the northeast part of Missouri, and there was no Nazarene church there. Actually, there was like the very first inklings of a Nazarene church there. There was one being planted just a few months before they arrived. And Mm -hmm. so um, from the beginning, as a child, we were a part of the Church of the Nazarene, and me specifically, part of a sort of a church plant. And I remember that as a child being a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your call. How did you end up being a pastor? So I went to college not planning to be a pastor at all and uh, planned instead to sort of pursue music and art. Those Mm -hmm. were really some passions of mine. And so most specifically, I I planned to be a a music teacher and incorporate the arts as well. Uh, When I went to college, I started that process, studied it, got, I think, three years in and majored in music, minored in art, and was doing great. I went to Mid-America Nazarene University, and of course, you're required to take some religion and Bible courses. Right. And, and here I am finding myself in music theory and really hating it, loving music, but hating studying theory, mm. and then finding myself in... Uh, Bible and theology classes, general ed, but loving it, just sort of really awakening something in me. So I just, at that point, I just really said, you know what, I'm just going to take a few more classes. It was not about, this is my long-term goal. It was just like, I'm interested in this. I like it. And 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 in the context of doing that process, I thought, I really, really like this. I think I want to do this mm-hmm. with my life and, and really take it deeper. And so I graduated with a religion degree, a music minor at that point. Just still didn't know exactly what that looked like, what how that call would take shape. And so I just decided I'm going to continue studying. And so I went to seminary and did the three and a half year MDiv program and just really loved growing and learning in that context. Mm. And from there then sort of began to find my way uh, as, as what it means for me to be a pastor and to serve in the church from there. Mm-hmm. So where did you serve, like, right off the bat? Did you go straight to Portland? No, I did not. I was uh, involved, first of all, in, in lay ministry in a church plant in the Kansas City area. And at that time, also worked full-time in the school district. My mm-hmm. heart was to 
um, to stay as engaged as I could in my city, in mm-hmm. particularly in education, and uh, ended up finding actually a great job in the school district, and and just purposefully put that off a bit to go full time in a, if you know, quote unquote, pastoral church position. Um, just really thrived in the school district, but also got involved in lay ministry in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And then and then when the time came, I did take my first pastoral role as an associate pastor in Overland Park, Kansas. And then um, from there, my family felt this tug of the Holy Spirit. At this point, it's my wife, myself, and we, our son was two. And we felt this tug to serve Christ overseas. And mm-hmm. so we sort of sold all of our possessions and rented out our house and moved to Europe and uh, served on the campus of European Nazarene College, um, doing chaplaincy, teaching, just ministering to students and among students in Eurasia, Mm -hmm. and just really loved that experience. Shaped us profoundly. When we came back from Europe, uh, we had an interim year in the Kansas City area. And from there, um, really found ourselves struggling in several ways. Where do we fit? both from a ministerial standpoint, having ministered in a in a traditional setting, and then also in, in Europe in a sort of college campus setting. Now what? Like, where do I belong type of thing? And having this, um, again, hearkening back to my childhood as well, but this sort of deep uh, latent passion and desire for church planting and to be a part of creating something that didn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. My wife was also ready for that adventure of some kind. And so... Yeah, long story short, we ended up in Portland, Oregon, where um, First Church of the Nazarene was in a place where they really desired to reach younger generations, but knew that they wanted to do it by starting something new um, that would sort of be able to be contextual in the way it needed to be, and that meant starting a new congregation. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, with the district's support and approval, they started searching for the right person and I don't know if I was that person or not but I ended up there and how did they find you how did you find Yeah them? just it was it was just through the process of you know I, I when we came back from Europe I'd been sending my resume all over the world literally and just trying to find a good fit and um the district superintendent from Oregon Pacific called me one day and said hey I think I have I think I see something that could be a good fit for you, given your education. Did you know him? I didn't. Oh, no, right, okay. No. Um, and so, you know, would you just be willing to, to have a chat with that? So I was, ironically, in Europe, back over there at the time, teaching a, a four-week course in, in Europe when things really started to develop. Mm. So I'm, you know, several time zones away, and my wife's back here in the U.S., and we're having this discussion about, could this be, you know, the right thing for us right now? And yeah, long story short, we, we ended up in Portland and started um, Eden Community, which was a uh, initially a, a sort of a church within a church model um, with the intention that it would be self-sustaining within three years. That was the original plan. We were able to, to get there earlier and by God's grace, organized the church last year. It's been a great ride and a great experience to be a part of creating something new in a, in a great, great place. So, had you ever been to Portland? I had not. Um, it was a place that uh, I knew of. I knew the Trailblazers. You know, I was a big Trailblazers fan in the '90s. Like, oh, right, okay. Um, and and really sort of followed when I was really into the NBA at that point. And uh, but other than that, didn't know much about it. So I, I I went and we interviewed there and just sort of fell in love 
with the city, fell in love with the culture. Um, I found I tell folks that when we came back from Europe to uh, the Midwest where we had been living, it was a, sort of a, a reverse culture shock that you, of course, experience anytime you do something like that, especially having lived overseas mm. and come back. But um, it was pretty extreme. And then when we went to Portland about a year after that, it was like, oh, we feel at home again in the sense that it felt it felt almost more like European culture in some ways. And I think there was a sense of comfort <laughs> for yeah. us, but also a, a resonance that, that I think we felt. And, and it was like, yeah, this is where we... This is where we fit right now, and and that's proven to be true. I think we uh, we just love the city. We love the culture. We I think we connect in ways that that make sense, and it's been great. That's awesome. Where is um, Eden at on its journey? Can you kind of tell us about how it started, how it's developing? Yeah. So. Um, you know, as I mentioned, it, it started as a, a church within a church in the sense of. Um, being sponsored by First Church of the Nazarene there in Portland. And uh, we knew early on that just starting an alternate worship service or something like that was just one piece of the equation to be able to connect with a, a totally unchurched environment. Um, the percentage is very low of folks who claim Christianity in the Northwest. It's not a, I tell folks, it's not a, a region of the country that is post-Christian. It, it just never really was. It, it's sort of that sort of frontier wow. that never really fully, it was never had a strong religious tradition in, in the region. And so we knew that just starting a worship service, to, that would just attract Christians who were looking for maybe just a different style or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's, of course, validity to that, but that we wanted to see more discipleship beyond just sort of reaching people's tastes within the church. We really wanted to try to be church that would connect culturally. And so we started, uh, we actually started smaller groups first. And that was that was the initial launch, was these smaller groups that meet in homes and we call them parish groups, sort of drawing from that that tradition in the church of the, the sort of parish idea that we are here to care for and love parts of our city and we would do that together. Mm-hmm. And so we started those first, then we started gathering for worship. We meet on Sunday evenings, five o'clock. Um, so even the timing of when we chose to, to gather, that was sort of a, I, I would like to say a missional decision, um, to try to connect with folks that may not connect on a Sunday morning in a worship context, at least. Mm-hmm. So with that, we also developed its own discipleship approaches and so forth while still being connected to first church, but sort of following out the trajectory of working towards sustainability and so forth. And so as that journey sort of continued. Um, my mentor and friend, Mark Goodwin, who is the senior pastor of First Church, who helped call me out, um, he came to a point where he was ready to retire. And so that really called the question for us to like, what are we going to become from this point on? And it, it provided a natural transition for us to say, hey, we're ready. We're ready to organize the church and let's let's kind of not be a baby church anymore and let's start to grow up. And so we organize the the community. It's self-sustaining and um, sort of has its own mission and and goals. And um, and now we find ourselves just about a year after that, sort of getting ready to see what's next for us as we move forward. Mm-hmm. So for young pastors that might be listening that don't really know what is entailed in organizing a church, mm-hmm. could you kind of explain what what <laughs> Is involved there, and what does that mean? 
Yeah. For, well, from a leadership standpoint, I, I kind of come at it from different angles. From a leadership standpoint, I think it's because that whole term organizing sounds very institutional, right? It's like, we're going to organize now. And it's it's kind of dreary and not very exciting. Right. But from a leadership perspective, to, to try to talk about it in terms of solidifying an identity, mm. that's a huge piece of it. And helping the community say, here's who we are, and here's where we're going, and here's who we've committed to be together. And then there's sort of the organizational le- uh, and, and sort of legal side of things where it's just, just lots of paperwork and <laughs> parts that aren't super fun for me, but that are necessary. And it establishes you as a nonprofit organization. Mm. Um, you sort of take steps to make sure you have your covered ins- with insurance. Things that, you know, that you have to do to be a viable nonprofit organization and to be responsible um, with the resources that you have. Yeah. Did your DS walk you through that process or how did you know like what next steps to take? Our, we're blessed. And Oregon Pacific had provided and, and established a... I should say created a sort of a workbook, step-by-step workbook to help organize the church, a church Mm. and sort of, it was district specific, but there are also some universal principles that, you know, apply to any, any church that's seeking to organize, but it did have some unique things to that, to Oregon, which is the state in which we organize. But that was very helpful resource and actually one that I've shared with other young church planters. Mm. And so shoot me a message if you're Looking for that resource because yeah, it's so we'll, helpful. We'll be sure and put your contact information at the end. Yeah, you know, one one thing that has been important to my congregation, sort first there's the theory and then the practice. One is just the theory of of how we posture ourselves mm. in the culture. We when we started Eden Community, it was not like we're here to save Portland or I mean, it was just like we're here to serve Portland. We're mm. here to be Christ Church faithfully in this place where we've been called. And so taking a posture, hopefully, of service has been, I'd say, powerfully instrumental in helping us form our identity. And so that's a theory. On the practical side, for us, especially as a small church plant, um, we started with about 25 to 30 people. Mm. And um, and even now, we're a church of 75 to 90, still a small church. But that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a super exciting. But I, but a big piece of that has been when you're, especially when you're small, you don't necessarily have the resources, human or, or otherwise, to say, hey, let's start our own blank. But I'm also finding that in a posture of service, sometimes you don't have to, and it's mm-hmm. not even advisable or desired. Um, but instead, and particularly for Portland, it's a huge environment where there's a lot of nonprofit work happening, a lot of nonprofit work. So for us, when I first arrived, I met a woman named Linda who had a heart for uh, victims of human trafficking. She had taken them into her home and ministered personally to them, but just felt so burdened about this that she's like, we need to serve these victims. We need to help them once they're rescued. She started a nonprofit that takes dresses, wedding dresses that have been donated created a wedding shop, like a, shop, a dress shop, and starts to sell them, and then they repurpose them, and and then rescued women help work it. It's just this amazing redemptive model of ministry, and I just was so captivated by that, and and it struck the chord of the heart of my people as well, and so we're like, okay, we've got to find out, how can we just, par- how can we support her? Mm. It's not about us, it's about 
how can we support her? So I just approached her and heard her story and heard her mission. And it was really neat. Out of that came a partnership. And so on several occasions now, we have taken a Sunday where we would have gathered in the church building and heard the word and celebrated the sacraments and 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 all of that. But instead, we met on those Sundays out at their location that was donated to them. And we just said, hey, grab your grab your paintbrush, grab your rake, and let's have a worship service by serving. And it's been, you know, it helped her organization get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And now they have a dress shop that, or excuse me, a, a sewing like program for mm-hmm. young girls. So now they're trying to do preventative work wow. in that space. Um, so it's been instrumental to help them reach some of their goals, but it's been so transforming for my church to... Mm-hmm say, man, how can we get outside the walls? And But that necessarily doesn't have to originate with us always, but to find partnerships. And I've we've got, cultivated several of those now. And um, so that's something I'm really passionate about because um, that posture of service, I think one way it can, one form it can take is through partnerships. And I think it's transforming. So, um, so what is a typical Sunday like in Eden community, at yeah. Eden community. It's uh, folks come in, they grab a coffee or water or lemonade or folks bring snacks. I mean, just random people bring snacks all the time. It's just a food, you know, lots of people like food. So we, we always have some kind of something laying out and folks will just gather together. It's a fairly um, informal gathering at the beginning. Um, and right now we meet in a cafe space, which is a it's, there's like you got to walk past a pool table and a foosball table and and then you sort of enter into another side of the room and, and in that section we've created sacred space mm-hmm. um, and so but it's flexible and I like that because it's sort of that we're, we're we are in a sense leaving the mundane and we're entering into the sacred mm-hmm. and yet they overlap and so we we've created a space where um, if you were to walk in, the central focal point is not a stage. It's not musicians. It's the cross. It's mm. the table where we celebrate the Eucharist and the lectern or table or whatever happens to be there on that day where we read and, and, and proclaim God's word. And so we're, a, I would say we're a sacramental community in that regard and um, sort of focused. The chairs are somewhat centered in the round so we can sort of hopefully see each other and engage with each other. And we, uh, a service will follow generally the fourfold pattern. We gather together, we hear God's word, and we give our thanks through Eucharist and um, the giving of our means. And then we're sent from that place to continue worshiping, right, in the way we live um, throughout the week. And so it's that sort of scattered church becoming the gathered church and then being scattered again on purpose and um that rhythm has has sort of been what we've adopted um that's helped shape our identity hopefully you know for doing it well right so i i would say one one thing i'm particularly passionate about and that we try to embrace in our community is the arts and um i i feel that um I think in the Church of the Nazarene, but also in the broader church, we've tended to make art just sort of a pragmatic matter, right? We're, we're doing art so that we can, oh, we got to share this message, so we'll use this art. 
when you know art is such a, a a beautiful medium in and of itself and so we try to integrate those expressions in various ways throughout our gatherings and that resonates culturally too because portland's an art artist community so what do you mean by that like there, there's art on the walls yeah and doing um, art in the we're doing art we've had folks come in and paint um we uh i also it's just practical stuff so like even the art we we may integrate into backgrounds, mm. you know, on the screen on occasion. Uh, you just try to be really sensitive and careful about what you're using so that it's it's good and it's beautiful and pleasing. Well, musically, of course, you try to in- integrate the arts in that way and and diversity. So we've had banjos on occasion and um, flutes, guitars, of course, all the others, but. Try to keep it, you know, as diverse as possible um, with the gifts that God has given you at that time. But trying to be, trying to integrate the gifts of the community, because I think that's what liturgy means. It's the work of the people. And so helping people own that. And even even in the Word, sometimes we'll try to have folks help write the liturgy or integrate their prayers into what we pray together Mm. and so there's a sense of shared ownership in our worship together um within within sort of the larger christian tradition but but giving that freedom of expression that can really connect hopefully in a local context is fun man that's great yeah what um what does your typical week look like as the lead pastor of a church plant oh it's very, well, it's, and it's changed, right? Since we first started, you, 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 when you first begin, you have no systems, mm. you have to, and you have nothing, you, you have to build something that is not there yet. And so a lot of it does fall to you as the leader to at least get the fire started, right? And then you try to keep it burning. At this point in the process, it's trying to, I spend a lot of time trying to get the systems that we have to work better, um, to be more effective in what they're designed to do. And then at this point, honestly, I'm still trying to get a couple of systems up and running because there's just so much to do in that regard. Yeah. Um, but I try to spend as much time as I can um, study and visioning and preparing um, for, of course, preaching and, and so forth. But then I, I try to make a practice of, of working out in the community, finding, uh, and I mean literally, to, if I'm if I am studying or writing a sermon or even just emailing folks or you know catching up with folks on social media or whatever, I try to do that not at home in my office, but I try to do it out in the community. Mm-hmm. Find ways to to make connections, and some really amazing, beautiful connections have been made um, through those means. And so I feel like it's a sort of a community connection is a big. Uh, and and a a wise use of time because you 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 get yourself out of your bubble mm-hmm. and you're connecting with folks that you would otherwise never meet and to be a regular you know find places where you can be a regular and that's what I've tried to do built some great friendships that way and um and then I also spend time with my family try to do that that's super important and it's especially a hard um stress on a family mm-hmm. to be if you have one and to be involved in a church plant and so um why is that well you we you're kind of all in right and you you don't make a decision like that without the blessing of your spouse at the least 
and in best case scenario, it's with full participation. I'm incredibly blessed that my wife Reagan is a partner in that, and she's multi-talented and gifted and amazing and supportive and all of those things. But she feels the stress of it, you know, when I'm when I'm spending many hours beyond um, maybe what I should on certain weeks. She's wisely the first person to say, hey, look, stop that. You, you can't do it all and nor should you. And so back away, delegate, find a different way or just let it go because nobody cares but you. And that's a good word sometimes, right? For a perfectionist, especially. It's like, yeah, you're right, actually. When I really step back, we don't need to do this. So trying to balance time with, with family and um, is, is, is an important concept mm-hmm. and one that I'm continuing to to learn how to balance, you mm-hmm. know, as the church morphs and changes from a, from something that doesn't exist into hopefully a sustainable community mm-hmm. that um, is growing healthier by the day. So what, what does that look like? What are your visions for Eden in the next five or 10 years? Well, we are, we're in a place now where we're actively looking for a new space to meet. And, um, and that's both by, by vision and desire, but also by necessity. So we are, um, so in some ways the vision is going to be shaped by that geography because that sense of place is so important. But at the same time, we've identified some high-level goals that we want to see happen, and um, those are development. A big one is de- ministry development, because when you first start a community, it's like, what can we pull off well? Let's do those first. So you have to prioritize, right? And so now it's like, okay, we've got these, these cylinders are running really well. Mm. Now let's develop them deeper. And then here's this piece that we've been wanting to do. It's time to start that now. Yeah, in our discipleship process, um, that is a big one um, of trying to continue to refine how those groups work and what their purpose is and to keep them vital and strong. Um, Another piece is leadership development, which is, I think, one thing that every church planner thinks of at the beginning, but then it's like, okay, you have to keep that going, right? You have that gung-ho group that helps join you at the beginning. And for some of them, they stick with you for the long haul. And then there's others that move away. They have a job that takes them somewhere else, and there's a hole. And so that's revealed probably for us, like, oh, yeah, we needed a better process to help keep that that leadership development and identification process going and make it stronger. So that's certainly something we want to see happen. And then continuing to... Keeping the partnership aspect that I highlighted a minute ago, but also thinking as you begin to establish yourself and you get an identity and folks start to know who you are, then you start to ask, like our team was discussing this past weekend, what's our thing? What is our thing? What are we known for? What are we passionate about? So we've started the process. We did a community discernment sort of survey or assessment Mm -hmm. where we, in a worship service, had people get in small groups and I asked the question, what kinds of things are breaking your heart when you mm-hmm. walk through your city? And everybody, you know, we just had small group discussion. Somebody in each group recorded that. And we just sort of consolidated all of our answers. And that just gave us this beautiful view of the heart mm-hmm. of our community. And so as we get ready to walk into a, hopefully a new space of some kind, we can start to look around, keep our eyes open. And where do we see those things that our heart is breaking over mm-hmm. and then develop a plan from there, you know, it's that sort of chicken and the egg. You find that place, and then you develop it, or do you continue to 
you know, it's it's sort of a both and right now right. for us. But that's my heart is to see us um, find our thing mm. and, and really dive into it from there. Well, and I know that you've kind of mentioned maybe finding a partner in ministry to move forward into some of those visions. Um, can you kind of talk about what you're thinking about as far as staff or leadership mm-hmm. team? You know, currently we've got some, some because of some transitions, uh, some really good ones for our people, um, healthy ones celebrating a birth, some job changes and moves. Um, it's left some some gaps. Our youth leader whom we mentored and raised up is going, feels called to Vietnam, which is something mm. to celebrate. Wow. And so we're, we sent him, like we helped, we've helped support him and prayed over him and sent him and his new wife. And that's a great thing. Um, well, now it leaves sort of a gap for us. So I'm looking looking to assemble the right pieces in our ministry to youth, which is a new one of those new ministry developments that we have gotten up off the ground and running. And now it needs someone to take the mantle and, and take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, that discipleship piece, I would love to see it continue to expand and grow. Um, outreach, someone who is a, just an absolute advocate for keeping our eyes open and then strategically calling us to respond Mm. uh, to the things that we see. Um, I have a great board member who's, I think, about 22, and she said, hey, Orlando just happened. We we did hold vigil in our worship service, and we, we did speak about that and acknowledge that and prayed about that in our gathering. And she is the one who said, okay, great, what are we going to do now? And which is a great question. And honestly, it's like, oh, I love that question. Now, I want to do something. But again, I, m- I mentioned earlier the time constraints of being the church planter. I need someone ready to, to take that. And I'm I'm number one supporter, ready to lead the charge and help. But I need someone that can dream and take it and really lead something like that on an ongoing basis. Those mm-hmm. kinds of responsive initiatives that may be short term, but but could turn into something more more consistent as well. But someone that can sort of take dreams that we have and, and run with them and help sort of construct it and make it workable for a community to engage. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I love my church is that when we have had things like that, when we don't meet at the church building and we do meet on site to serve, like we have almost more people come than on a Sunday. And I love that. You know, awesome. it's just it reveals the heart of my people. And so we want to see that increase for sure. So honestly, Portland's a great place. I love my church, great people, a great mission, a great God. And if a person is feeling called, um, and wants to join the work, then, you know, I, I, I find, I, I want to find the people whom God has called. And then from there, let's work on what that could look like Mm -hmm. in many, in many cases. So I'm excited. Would love to have folks join us. That's awesome. What inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? I think I stay because the Church has given me a place. Um, they have given me a voice. Uh, they've invested in me. Um, and when I say the Church, I don't mean the institution necessarily. I mean the people. I have friends and mentors of all ages and genders who have poured their life into me. And, and shown the love of Christ to me. And and that's the reason. I feel indebted to them, in a not in a sort of ob- obligatory sense, but in a, a sort of gratitude 
a sense of gratitude, like, wow, how could I've been given this treasure? I want to, I want to take it and give it back and, and, and also be able to give it to others that God has placed in my life, sort of keep that process going. Mm. And that energizes me. And, and so I stay because there is a, I do think the church has given me a, a place and a voice, but I also love uh, many parts of our theology of transformation um, through the work of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. And um, and I also love that there is a, a measure of space and flexibility in our theology. Mm-hmm. And even, to be honest, even though I think we have some, some struggles, uh, our ecclesiology allows for flexibility and allows, frankly, for me to, to do church in different ways. And, and I appreciate that. And I and not every tradition offers that, and so I appreciate that, and so, uh, and so I stay. I love my church. Um, I'm grateful for it and its witness. That's awesome. Do you do you want to give us some contact information in case somebody's curious, maybe about church planting or yeah. Portland itself or yeah. your ministry in particular? Sure. Um, they can look me up on the web, EdenPDX.org. Um, they can shoot me an email, JasonV at EdenPDX.org. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, all those things. Look me up, you'll find me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.